Turn Me Around, produced by the Freedom Singers and recorded at the White House with Michelle and Barack Obama, as well as Jill and Joe Biden in the audience, expresses the views of Solutions to Balance and our guest today, Lisa Markowitz and Cassidy Herman. Hello, folks. We are Solutions to Balance. We're happy you can join us. You're listening to Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM. Solutions to Balance is a program of and sponsored by Forward Radio. Forward Radio is an affiliate of the Global Fellowship of Reconciliation. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you can do so by emailing us at solutionsofbalance18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Today's Solutions of Balance program is a recording of a virtual Third Thursday Lunch event. The Third Thursday Lunch event is being sponsored by the Lubbock Fellowship of Reconciliation and Source of Justice. The Third Thursday Lunch event will take place before a virtual Zoom audience of 200 plus participants. The keynote speaker for the 21st Third Thursday Lunch event is Dr. Lisa Markowitz and Kitty Karen. I'm Jim Johnson. The co-host for Solutions to Balance is Jamie McMillan, and our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. Also, the Fellowship of Reconciliation produces an online journal called Pursuit. If you're interested in submitting an article to Pursuit, uh, Pursuit will publish that article. Send your article to Russ Greenleaf by emailing him at russgreenleaf at yahoo.com. Thanks for your consideration. Barbara Boyd from Source of Justice will introduce our guest speakers. My name is Barbara Boyd, and I'm one of the co-chairs with the Source of Justice. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I want to let you know a little bit about the Louisville chapter of Fellowship of Reconciliation um, and Source of Justice, which are partnering in the third Thursday lunch. The Fellowship of Reconciliation works for peace and justice through education and nonviolent engagement with the social justice issues of our time. Uh, the Source of Justice Network is a broad coalition of faith communities and individuals working for social justice. We like to look at it as um, tilling peace, sowing reconciliation, and harvesting justice. Carver Tan and I are current co-chairs of Source. I want to share and uh, welcome you to our Black History Month uh, third Thursday lunch. I want to let you know a little bit about ASALA, which is the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. As you know, or you might not know, um, ASALA was founded 106 years ago by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the father of Black History Month. The mission of ASALA is to promote, research, preserve, interpret, and disseminate information about Black life, history, and culture to the global community. The association is also a tax-exempt 501c3 organization. The, each year, ASALA has a theme. Last year's theme was African-American and the votes. Um, the year before that was uh, African-Americans in the military. The 2021 theme is the Black family, representation, identity, and diversity. And I want to also let you know that ASALA's 
106th annual meeting and conference will be in Jacksonville, Florida, September 22nd through the 26th. Um, another thing I wanted to let you know is that Asala is embarking on a campaign to spread visibility because a lot of people, as you know, do not know about Black history until usually they go on to colleges and universities. It's not actively taught in the elementary, middle, or high schools. Uh, Louisville has an Asala branch. Uh, we were chartered in 2019, and it is the Dr. Carter G. Woodson branch, and it was officially chartered on October 3rd. We'd like to invite each and every one of you to Google Asala, find our branch, and join it um, if you so choose. Um, our campaign to bring about visibility is we uh, have yard signs, and I don't know if you can see it. It is celebrating Black History Month. Dr. Carter G. Woodson, founder of Sala and Black History Month. And then we have in the green at the bottom, the Louisville Asala branch and the name for the acronym, Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. The Facebook um, handle is Louisville Branch Asala. And this is our logo. And we are doing pretty well. Um, and I think once you get involved with the solid, you will uh, really enjoy what it has to offer. Um, and I think for now, that's about it. And I will turn it over to Doug Laurie, who will um, introduce our guest and tell you about our program today. Doug? Hi, I'm Doug Lowry. I'm one of the founding board members of Sowers of Justice Network, but I'm also on the board of Louisville Community Grocery. And why I'm excited about our topic today, we talk a lot about Black history, we talk about Black History Month, we talk about its importance, and I'm excited to introduce Dr. Lisa Markowitz and Cassa Heron, because they not only know a lot about Black history and about the history of food and food justice, but they're actively working on bringing food justice to Louisville through LACE and through the Louisville Community Grocery. We're going to tell you a little bit more about that. Dr. Markowitz is a proud community grocery owner and since 2017 has been a member of the UofL research team partnering with LACE. As a teacher, researcher, and activist, Lisa has been involved with matters of food and politics for close to two decades and sees all these endeavors as intertwined. Since the 1980s, Dr. Markowitz has worked in small communities in Andean South America. In particular, her interest in the rural side of global commodity flows drew her to high elevation alpaca raising regions of southern Peru. Upon coming to Kentucky in the mid-1990s and discovering that farmers were diversifying out of tobacco, she became interested in the various social movements aimed at reshaping agriculture in the U.S. Subsequently, as both an activist and a researcher, she's been involved with efforts to create a more equitable and sustainable food system here in Louisville. 
At the University of Louisville, where she teaches anthropology, she's developed six different food courses, including one called Food Justice, and takes great pleasure in engaging students with local food activism. Her own research has dealt with rural food security and sovereignty in South America and here in the United States. Over the years, Lisa has worked closely with the Community Farm Alliance, serving on the board and leading the research for the Louisville Food Community Food Assessment. She was also a member of the Louisville Food Security Working Group and the short-lived Louisville Food Policy Council. She's on the board of Sustainable Agriculture Louisville and served for six years on the executive board too as president of the culture and agriculture section of the American Anthropological Association. So Lisa, we're ready to hear what you have to say about collective courage. Lisa, you're on mute. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll start again. Thanks for the intro, Doug. Um, I'm so, hi everyone. I am so pleased to be here with you today. Um, I've for a long time been a fan of the Sours of Justice and the FOR and have admired the ways you've been such forces for peace and justice. Um, I'm especially happy to be here to speak about a remarkable and groundbreaking book. Jessica Gordon Nebhard's Collective Courage, a History of African-American Cooperative Economic Thought and Practice. Um, I want to start by mentioning that Professor Gordon Nebhard was here in Louisville about three years ago. She spoke at the University of Louisville at the law school and also at the uh, Free Public Library. And I hope that some of you had an opportunity to hear her speak live. She's quite inspiring. Um, and also, Doug has kindly put the video of her talk up on the Source of Justice um, website, and it's also there on the Facebook event page. So go check it out if you haven't had a chance to hear her speak. Okay, um, I'm not going to talk very long, uh, there, but there are two things that I would like to do. Um, one is to give you some sense of what Gordon Nebhard does in her book, and the other, where I'm going to start, is to offer up some context for her achievement. So let me begin talking about one of my favorite topics, cooperatives. Across the globe, co-ops are really important economically and socially, and they tend to be hidden. Um, when we think about the economy, co-ops don't really kind of pop into our heads. They aren't the thing that comes to our mind, but as we'll see, they should be. Uh, first, let's start, what is a co-op? Um, in her crisp style, Gordon Napar defines them this way. Cooperatives are companies owned by the people who use their services. A co-op's purpose is to meet member needs, not just to earn a return on investment, like, say, a traditional corporation. There are three main kinds of cooperatives, 
consumer owned, like a grocery store or a credit union. Next, there are producer cooperatives like agricultural marketing co-ops, like Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice is a good example of this. Or if you've ever bought um, something at Just Creations, it was likely um, made by a member of a crafts cooperative. Then third, there are worker-owned businesses, which are often established to um, save an enterprise on the verge of collapse, or could be a new firm that was uh, established expressly uh, to put principles of workplace democracy into action. And there are variations on all three of these. Cooperatives touch hundreds of millions of lives. According to the International Cooperative Alliance, world over, there's some 3 million cooperatives uh, involving upwards of 800 million people. In the United States, Conservative estimates suggest the presence of 30,000 co-ops with membership comprising one in every 10 residents. In some co-ops are really big deal, but somehow they've been excluded from the mainstream understanding of what the economy is. Cooperative history, like so much of black history, got lost, got erased. So what Gordon Nibhart does in her book is address and rectify this double erasure, this double exclusion. She does it by unearthing, recovering, and restoring accounts of Black cooperative economics. How did she come to the project? Well, she was interested in Black economic development and in cooperatives. And she started her work and engaged um, in conversation on these topics. The question arose, have black folk ever participated in cooperative economics? This question intrigued her um, despite the feedback that she got as she writes, more and more people who told me that black people did not participate in co-ops. Well, she found different. How did she go about doing the finding? Her methodology here is really worth a mention. Um, she starts by pouring over some of the key better known sources, right? For example, the writings of W.E. B.D. Du Bois, who was very, very interested in Black cooperation. She reviewed decades worth of the NAACP's magazine, The Crisis, as well as other Black publications. She searched through the archives of Ella Jo Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer, A. Philip Randolph, and the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. She was just getting started. As word got out about the project, her research snowballed and people began contacting her with stories and material. And she learned about many, many more black owned cooperatives than she'd expected. What she discovers is that black cooperative economic activity has a long legacy in North America. In addition to her US examples, she's got a good number of stories from Canada as well. Nippard Gordon 
chronicles the activities and the organizations that emerged in different periods, as well as the way these initiatives were interwoven with wider struggles, um, like the labor movement and civil rights, as well as other broader intellectual currents. She finds that going back to the early 19th century, free people pooled their slim resources to create hundreds of mutual aid and beneficial societies to care for women and children and to provide burial services. These groups also protected fugitives from enslavement. In the late 19th century, black cooperators participated in the populist movement for the rights of small farmers and laborers. Uh, one example, a very large example, is the Colored Farmers National Alliance and Cooperative Union, a self-help group of smallholders and sharecroppers with a membership of at least a half a million um, in chapters, many, many chapters uh, stretching across the South. Among other pro-farmer positions, they advocated the creation of cooperative stores um, by pooling African-American resources, all of this in order to have an alternative because they wanted to be able to boycott the stores owned by the planters and the alive merchants. Um, Moving into the 20th century, Nippard Gordon details the activity of the Young Negroes Cooperative League. Established in the 1930s, it embraced councils in cities across the East and the Midwest to create buying clubs and cooperatives. The league itself was short-lived, but it provided crucial organizing experience for Black youth, um, that later found its way in that found its way into the civil rights movement, and it also seeded cooperative in Denver endeavors from Buffalo to Columbia, South Carolina. Also, the league's vision carried forward into the largest wave of Black cooperative organizing, and this is what took place during the Great Depression. This is another aspect of the kind of the hidden history of cooperatives. This was a huge air in cooperation, collective economic activity in response, right, to the joblessness and the hunger and the terrible conditions. Um, so we see this um, amongst Black communities across the country. Um, people responded collectively um, to these hardships. Nepard Gordon tells the stories of the Gary Food Co-op, of housing co-ops in New York City, of a cooperative service station in Kansas City. There's so many examples, one after the other, of these rich stories. And she makes the point that for a lot of these cooperators, the work, right, was about getting vital resources. It was a survival strategy, but also this kind of coming together creates a common ground for people, a meeting ground, and um, also helps create this community building, helps create a sense of optimism. So, there's more to say about this wonderful book. It is chock full of stories which she has pieced together 
from newsletter articles, from interviews with people, from old letters, from all of her efforts coming through the archives. This truly is a work of recovery and restoration. Um, so, but I think I would, but what I'd like to do now is just close, and I want to close with her words, and I kind of like this little paragraph I'm going to read to you, because it is so very relevant to our time, and more particularly, as Castle will tell you about, to our city. Um, she said that um, with employment high, this is, as she's referring, reflecting back on the 1930s. Um, what she says with employment and poverty high and services curtailed or unavailable, African-Americans struggled to feed their families. They chose cooperative economics as a solution. Throughout history, especially in trying times, African-Americans chose cooperation and often had good results. Cooperative ownership helps address the challenges of capitalism, marginalization in labor, capital, and product markets, and the lack of adequate, affordable, quality services. Current conditions require alternative strategies. Cooperatives are, again, a solution. Thanks, Lisa. Um, good afternoon. My name is Cassa Heron, and I serve as president of the Louisville Association for Community Economics. I'm a proud Kentuckian, uh, born and raised in Richmond, Kentucky, and I found Louisville as my home uh, nearly 20-some years ago. I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, and I have been committed to making this community one that um, is lives up to our, our legacy, uh, lives up to the dreams that we, we want to see happen. And um, I'm really focused on making sure that my children say, well, what did they do when they moved those, those people? Because that's what I wonder about my, my parents' generation is what, what did y'all do when they were putting high, highways through our communities and redlining our communities? What was, what was the work? I have great friends and a friend of mine gifted me this book, uh, Collective Courage. And I was blown away by the legacy of Black people coming together and pulling our resources and taking care of each other and burying each other and starting banks and insurance companies. Um, and then knowing that's history that I wasn't, I didn't really know about that really helped me see a larger picture and trajectory about uh, where we've come from and, and what it's gonna take for us to live the kind of lives that we, we want and that we deserve. So in 2017, well, I guess it was 20, 2015, uh, friends of mine and ours came together um, around seeing all these grocery stores close in our communities. And we literally just started having conversations with each other in each other's kitchen tables. Um, we talked about those grocery stores closing. I was gifted this book and we started thumbing through Collective Courage and decided that we wanted to apply cooperative economics to serve the problem of having so many grocery stores closed. And pretty quickly, we came to understand that we needed a home to do this work. And so LACE was born and incorporated in 2017 to be the cooperative educator and cooperative um, incubator for our community. Our work has been to um, educate ourselves to learn all that we can about cooperative economics, 
to specifically learn more about the grocery business <laughs> and then to learn about cooperative groceries. Uh, cooperative grocery stores exist across this, the country. In most major cities, there's some sort of cooperative grocery. And as Lisa said, a lot of cooperative businesses, we have cooperative businesses um, that operate here in Louisville. Um, Luckin and Farley is a, is a worker owned um, kind of situation. People really don't know that about Luckin and Farley. Uh, that they're, the people who work there have some ownership stake in the business. Uh, Mama's Hip is a business that operates as a cooperative. And I always, oh, Full Stop um, is um, a retail shop over between like the Highlands and as you're going into um, Shelby Park. So those are just a few um, co-ops that do operate now in, in our community. And there's folks who use cooperative economics as a, as a value to do work. New Roots Fresh Stops is, um, we are growing our work off the work that um, Karen Moskowitz and, and hundreds and thousands of, of shareholders in, in New Roots um, have, been, have been doing. So we, um, we have been digging deep and learning the grocery store business uh, we, some of us are business owners um, individually. Many of us have never own, own, owned and operated a business. Uh, some of us have been in nonprofit management and have served on nonprofit boards. Some of us, it's our first time doing that. So we have um, um, started a nonprofit, LACE, the Louisville Association for Community Economics, and then incorporated the Louisville Community Grocery in 2019 as the first cooperative grocery or first cooperative business that LACE is supporting. We have um, been doing a lot of work. We've recruited um, a little bit of money <laughs> and continue to get a lot of, recruit a, a lot of money, a lot of other money. Uh, but it's interesting that um, the support that has come has been support that we've gotten on our terms and that has really allowed us to grow into where we are now. Um, so where are we in, in building uh, the grocery store and what is LACE's work moving forward? So the grocery store has, um, we opened uh, the ability for people to invest in the grocery last year. We have up to um, 420 some owners. These are people who have either paid or committed to paying $150 um, to purchase a share into the business. We have opportunities for, um, for folks who are, have limited incomes to also invest. We want everybody to be owners in the business, uh, we don't want money to be um, an obstacle at all for ownership. And so we have a couple other ways in which people uh, can invest. So if you don't have $150 upfront, you can put $30 down and pay as you go. And then we also have advantage shares. These are set aside for um, limited, limited resource seniors and young people. I'm thinking you know, young people that are under the age of 25 who are on their own and have limited income those folks can invest in the grocery store at $25. And we're asking our community to um, support those with an extra $125 um, investment so that we can have whole shares. And um, I'm happy to report that Douglas Boulevard Church um, was the first um, investor in that. They um, invested some money so that we can get seniors to sign up. And uh, Sadiqa Reynolds at the Louisville Urban League has given us a verbal commitment that she is gonna do the same. Um, we have um, a market study that tells us that we can open a grocery store along West Broadway or in um, the Russell neighborhood and uh, Port Smoketown and Shelby Park um, are the other neighborhoods that we're looking at uh, that would be 
successful that would compete with the two crappy Kroger Kroger's and the dollar stores and corner stores that a lot of people are getting money from or getting their um, groceries from now. Um, we have three viable sites that we are, are in, um, in investigating whether or not we could be located there. All three sites would be new build opportunities. So it'd be a brand new grocery store. Uh, we certainly wanted uh, to refurbish another building, uh, but that wasn't that didn't happen for us. Um, we work across two different boards. So as I said, we have the LACE board and we have the LCG board. So the nonprofit and the business work together across four different committees to do the work uh, to build the grocery store. We are constantly um, in looking for ways to connect to our community, to let people know about this, this wonderful opportunity. Uh, would love to do this, um, this presentation for you and, and, and the folks that, that you are with. Um, and I think I'm gonna stop there. I just wanted to give a shout out to several people that uh, I have not seen or, or being able, certainly have not been able to touch for a while that I see that are in uh, the chat. So I see Ira Grouper and um, Pia McMichael, our friends over at Food Literacy Project, Carol and Angelique. Um, Maria, I owe you a call. I promise I'll get to you this week. <laughs> and um, I even see one of our farmer friends, um, Ray, um, Strobal is is here is here with us. We we have a deep um, deep connections in our community, and uh, we've been working really hard, kind of silently a little bit, um, on really all the things that you have to do to um, to govern um, boards and people. Uh, the beauty and the challenge of cooperative development is it's a lot of people management. Um, we've got a lot of volunteers. We have um, eight board members of each, each one of our boards. And then we have one board member that serves as a, a conduit between um, both of them. Uh, we've been working hard and we, we hope that you trust that we are building uh, the kind of business that is gonna be responsive to the needs of our community, both um, serving, being sure that we have a place where people can buy good affordable food and a place where we can incubate other businesses. Um, we really want this store to stand up um, local farmers products Black farmers, Black food artisans. Um, we want to sell a bunch of stuff that's made locally um, by good people and, and have a place where we can all come and, and be in community with each other. Um, so we welcome you to be become owners of the Louisville Community Grocery, members of the Louisville Association for Community Economics, LACE is for short, um, and help us build this cooperative economy that we know that um, we need and deserve. And it's the kind of thing that's gonna move our city um, to the next level. Right. I appreciate you being with us, Casa and Lisa. Um, we do have a couple of questions for you. One is how much community equity does it take for us to be able to open a grocery store and how can people help resource the work of the grocery and of the LACE organization? Great, great questions. Uh, I can't, I can't share my screen. Is that what you said? We're not sharing screen. So I have a pie chart <laughs> that shows where we think we're going to get money. Um, we worked really hard to make sure that our local uh, government allocated money to um, this project and to food projects this past uh, budget cycle. Uh, we have an application into Metro government for three and a half million dollars that they set aside for community grocery. We hope to get it. We are competing with one other group in the city. Uh, that would be about 40% of our budget. So it's a huge, um, 
huge opportunity for us to, to really anchor um, the, the store. Our um, capital campaign is uh, right, at, right a little under $9 million. The community equity of that will be less than 20%. Um, so we're really banking on um, Metro government's public support. We're banking on moving our philanthropic community to really make a huge investment. Um, we are having great conversations with a, a national bank around new market tax credit opportunity. Uh, and we may take out a small loan. Um, I've been having some really interesting conversations with colleagues across the country around how to move high net worth individuals to become social equity investors. Um, and that's a lot of work that we're doing. We've, we, we do have a community that has, that have that of individuals who have money. And our work has been to how do we move those resources in a way that still allows us to have control over what we wanna see in our community and takes advantage of the opportunities for people who want to see great things happen. Um, so our um, community shares, we want at least 2000 owners by the time the grocery store opens, that's only gonna be $300,000. So we're inviting opportunities for our community to lend us money at really great rates. Um, slow money really at no interest is, is, what our, is, is what makes most sense for us in terms of building this business. It doesn't make sense for rich people to have an ownership share. Um, in, in the business because it's community owned, but uh, folks who have a lot of resources can, can certainly invest uh, philanthropically or with long, slow money um, that trust that we'll, we'll pay it back once we have this successful business open. Great. Um, a question for Lisa. Lisa, um, the book that Jessica Gordon Nimhart brought to us is a ginormous tome that is maybe not even available in print costs a lot of money. What are some other resources that people can use to understand the, the cooperative economics and how can people connect to people who are asking and answering questions about the power of cooperative economics? Mm. Okay, yeah, the book is a, a thick book and it uh, I ordered it, right? I got it from the university press. There are an amazing number of resources out there on cooperative economics. And this is something which was sort of news to me um, when I, as I started getting into this topic and getting engaged with this work about three years ago. Um, one of, for example, I cited a statistic from the International Cooperative Alliance. Who knew? Well, Obviously, many, many people knew that such an entity existed. Um, you can go take a look and see what is going on globally with these all of these organizations. Um, there is what has been particularly useful for those of us working on the grocery store has been the uh, the food FCI, the Food Cooperative Initiative. Part of the reason that uh, cooperative groceries have been taking off across the U.S. is that some older cooperators who with a lot of experience put together the, this initiative to help the new ones start out and give guidance and training. So they actually, there are how-to manuals on how to do a cooperative. So those are, I think, two of the most easily accessible sources on information, both kind of empirical stuff sort of sketches out the universe of cooperatives and um, 
kind of give lays out succinctly the principles and the ideas and a little bit of the history. Uh, and then as you start kind of getting into this, into the weeds, you discover, and it's really exciting, all of these other organizations um, across the country, across the hemisphere, right, that are doing different kinds of collective work. Um, so it's, you know, you put one foot in the rabbit hole and down you go real fast. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, Lisa. Um, Cass, I wonder if you might just say a little bit, you know, we are the home of Breonna Taylor. We're, uh, we have all of this energy for racial justice in our community. Can you talk a little bit more about how you see the cooperative work that we're doing being connected to racial justice, especially food justice in West Louisville, and then maybe some of the neighborhoods we are trying to engage people in? Great question, Doug. Um, I'm an organizer, so I'm going to tell a story is what we do a lot, so bear with me. Um, the morning, I guess the morning, yeah, night, morning, when uh, Mr. McAtee was killed by the, um, not the state police, but the, uh, my mind is blanking me. The Monday, this happened on a Sunday night, Monday morning, my sister and friends called and let me know that it happened and that we were needed. And, and so we drove down, um, we packed a gun and a bag of rocks. We didn't know what to expect. And we, we went down to be with our community and, and folks were ravished. They were hurt, they were upset. There was no way people were grieving in the streets while we were waiting um, for the authorities to remove Mr. McAtee's body. I was in pain that day. I, I don't know what was going on, but I had been having back problems for a couple of days. And um, there were all kinds of folks down there really holding the line. So on one side of the street, you had police with their guns and their sticks. And then on the other side of the street, um, on the um, south side of the street, um, this was across Broadway at 26 and Broadway, um, you had community. And in the background, you had Kroger. And eventually, Mr. McAtee's body was was moved from the site, and we um, began to pack our things and, and leave. And before we could leave, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday, Kroger was closing their store. There was no reason. They probably paid a couple of black men. There was some older black men with neon signs that stores closing in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> they had that. They had the ability to make that choice. And overnight, um, some young women raised $30,000, Taylor Ryan with, feed, with um, Change a Day, Change Tomorrow, Chantrice Martin, who also works with, with them, and she's the owner of Black Market Kentucky, a new grocery store at 26th and, or 25th and Market. Um, they raised $30,000 overnight to feed our community. And they have been working very hard in the past year to continue to do that. Um, they haven't gotten a lot of money to do it they, from, from institutions or organizations. They've been raising money from, sorry. They've been raising money from individuals and they've been feeding people every day, serving people. I just um, saw a tweet today where they are housing people over, over the weekend and looking for volunteers. This is the power of people. This is cooperative economics. Um, and it's been beautiful to see young people 
step into leadership roles um, when our other institutions um, have failed us um, and we're rewriting rules. We are um, demanding things from Kroger when other our other partners in the community will easily take $20,000 and allow Kroger to continue to disrupt our, our, to disrespect our community and offer um, poor products. We're holding folks accountable in the ways in which makes us, makes sense to us um, and builds power. And that's the beauty of our work. Um, we know that beyond having a grocery store that we're gonna have 2000 people, maybe 10,000 people um, that will be a block we can move those people to do some other things. Um, and hopefully all those 2,000 or 10,000 shareholders, um, share owners vote. And, and we're able to, to really build power um, through our ability to organize our resources, organize our talents and work together to create the kind of things that we wanna see in our communities. Nice. Um, what kind of skills do you think are most needed from the community? People can give money, they can become an owner. What are some of the skills out in the community that you think are most needed by either Lace or by the grocery and how can we support you in your, your work? We need people who love the city. We need people who have the ability to dream and imagine something else. We need people who talk to their neighbors <laughs> and talk to their friends. We need people to share um, about this wonderful opportunity um, to invest in a business. Uh, I don't even own a car. Um, but I'm going to be, I'm an owner of a business. <laughs> I'm owner of two businesses, actually. Um, and, and oftentimes we don't get the ability to do that. So we need people um, who believe in other people, who believe in the power of organizing, um, who want to see something different in our community, because we know that um, the work that LACE is doing is beyond just the grocery store, that we, we are really building um, an, an economy of inclusion and really democratizing the ability for us um, to create the kind of communities that we want. Thank you. So everybody's welcome, Doug. <laughs> Thank you. Well, sometimes people don't don't show up because they don't know they're invited and they're not asked. And one of the things I love about CASA and about our group is that uh, it's stone soup. Lots of people show up with some skills and they go, I don't know if y'all can use this. And it feels like CASA is always like, we can definitely use that skill. So having people show up with um, financial resources is important, but we have a lot of skills that are required to open the, the grocery. Um, Lisa, I'm gonna ask you if you can answer this. Um, what's the relationship to co of cooperative businesses to other types of retail businesses? Is it a challenge for a cooperative to compete against other businesses uh, in your opinion? And you're still muted just in case you don't know. Yeah. It certainly can be. I mean, there's in food cooperatives, particularly um, the sort of the mainstreaming of natural foods back in the day. Well, okay, in the 19, early, in the late 60s and 70s, with kind of a rise of countercultural stuff and the awareness of the dangers of industrially produced food and industrial farming, uh, folks were you know looking for alternatives. And coming together and establishing cooperative grocery stores, actually often starting off as kind of food buying clubs um, uh, where people could get some of the whole grains and the organic produce and the things that they were interested in, but weren't really widely available in stores. So what happened as this market sector increased in size, 
the um, mainstream sellers kind of caught onto this and the demise of some of the food co-ops that emerged from this, um, this wave in the 70s is related to the rise of stores like Whole Foods or even Wild Oats or some of the ones that came before that. So yeah, there can be competition, especially once the kind of the capitalist enterprises catch on to the fact that the cooperators who saw a need were really onto something. So yeah, there can be a um, definitely a competitive relationship. On the other hand, there are merchants, sort of mainstream businesses who are really supportive to um, um, initiatives, community-based initiatives that they feel kind of, you know, um, a moral belief in um, and perhaps ones which don't threaten their bottom line. So I think that there's room for lots of different relationships, but I also think that cooperators do need to scope care out carefully the business environment, which is why we've taken great pains to do the business planning for the Louisville Cooperative Grocery. Why people, why we've been really, really careful to gather as much information and get help from some wonderful uh, consultants in developing I, our business plan. I do want to add to this. There was a question um, in the chat about about that. When we launched Lace, uh, we we at first were just trying to like find a home. As I said, we thought that we could just be a project of another nonprofit and work that way. But what we learned is that that in order for the grocery store to be successful, it needs to be in an ecosystem of other cooperatives, mm -hmm. and we needed to create that. Like we didn't have that. Um, we are in the throes of defining or finding a distributor who is going to the people we're going to buy most of our groceries from. And, you know, some of the conversations is what are you going to do in the first three months to help us compete with Kroger when Kroger drops their prices? Because we know that they're going to do that. Um, so it is challenging for cooperatives to work um, in this sort of environment. But the beauty of, of cooperative economics is that when co-ops do business together, then it really helps to insulate um, the business from uh, the other pressures of the uh, the capitalist system. We are still going to be operated in such, um, but we can develop relationships, business to business um, relationships that make that make sense for us to grow our business. Um, we have an opportunity now to perhaps um, organize people and open a delivery business, a food delivery business before we even open the grocery store, which sounds um, wild and crazy from our standpoint of starting another cooperative. Um, but we found that it's necessary and that people want it. There was a, another question about when the grocery store is going to open. Uh, this is pretty aggressively. If we, I hope that we get the $9 million by this summer. Um, and that would put us on a two-year trajectory to open the grocery store in 2023. Thanks. Can you all, either of you or both of you, say something about how the a cooperative grocery helps local the local economy, especially the local food economy, local food growers and local food entrepreneurs? I'll start by saying that we, um, another thing that we're working on that we hope to launch before the store opens is a prepared foods line. So we want, we know that convenience is important uh, to our community. 
and that a lot of people don't know how to cook, unfortunately, um, the, particularly the good food um, that, that they need. And so we want to be a place where we can buy products directly from farmers and cook that in our deli. We want the deli to be a really big popping business. And we know that that's the way in which we're going to be able to afford um, local farmers. So I'm excited about the opportunity to to, you know, enter into contracts where we're buying seconds and thirds from farmers where a lot of the times that food rots or they have to give it away. We want to be able to purchase food um, in relationship with growers that allow them parity in the marketplace. Growers who want to sell locally, if it's challenging to do that with a big, a big company like Kroger or Walmart, you've got to wait on your money, you've got to be big. And so we're going to be able to be small, but, but large enough that we can really be um, a marketplace for those products. Yeah, exactly. And just adding to that, right, we, the big chains are locked into these huge purchasing arrangements, right? They have to get their foods from certain kinds of wholesalers and jobbers. Um, It's kind of a labyrinth of buying and selling. In contrast, a co-op can be kind of small and nimble. We, because there are a lot of folks involved with the lace in the grocery store who have long-reaching long-reaching, long-ranging relationships with area farmers. So we have those ties and we can draw on those ties and we're really looking forward to being a marketplace for farmers throughout the area. In that sense, we'll have shorter supply chains. One of the lessons out of this pandemic, right? Well, remember the absence of toilet, well, toilet paper, but other basic foods in the grocery stores is these long, long supply chains are complicated and they take time and a crisis can disrupt them. And so something that's coming out, this is kind of the emergent research, is that smaller stores and co-ops are likely to do a lot better, are likely to be a lot more resilient in these times of crisis because we have these short and nimble supply chains. Could you, Kassa, maybe say just a little bit about what are the opportunities for an owner and also what are the responsibilities? If someone becomes an owner, what do they get out of that? And what are some responsibilities? How does a co-op work? And why would that help West Louisville where we're targeting to serve people? So right now, um, the opportunity is to, is to provide in- input. Right now, we're building a brand new business and everybody uh, can participate in shaping, shaping that. So as I said, we have four different committees um, that work to do the all the research and, and building of the store. And so right now it's really an opportunity <laughs> to be involved in building a business. Um, the responsibility that we're asking that we are really trying to push to, to our owners is to share about the store with other people. It's really, really hard to imagine something that's not seen. We don't have it. We don't even have a location yet. Um, and so it's gonna take all of us continuing to talk to people and to create um, the vision for what is going, going to come. Um, there aren't, as I said, there just aren't really a lot of opportunities for people to say, I'm going to put my money here and expect that my neighbors and my friends are going to do, do right by that money and see happen. And that's what right now we're asking. And it's a risk. It's a little bit of a risk that we're asking our community to trust each other, to trust us, to lead in a way in which um, the, the marketplace has not done. Um, moving forward, we want... Um, we want to open other cooperatives. So learning, being active, participating in this process then allows us 
to have skills and expertise to then um, open other, other cooperatives, support other cooperatives. Um, the, the grocery store itself, there's a question that Barbara has about the opportunity for schools to get involved. Um, yes, there will be tons of ways in which this can be, um, can support programmatic aims from other, um, other groups. We've been in touch with a couple of MCOs, um, the healthcare providers who um, in other markets have literally purchased food shares for people. So if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you've got to have this sort of kind of diet, um, how could we work with the NCOs to offer um, vouchers or, or something to folks so that they can then come into the grocery store and we've got you know the six different options of meals that you are supposed to have based on your diet. All of those things are possible um, in, this, in this store because we're gonna own it and we get to control it. Um, and we are the, the leaders in our community. So we're connected to a lot of people. I'm saying we collectively, all of you guys on the, on the call, um, we have connections. We know what, what needs to happen in our community. And so we, this is a vehicle by which we can do a lot of different things. So just as an aside here, I would like everyone to put in the chat if you're already an owner or a LACE member, because there are a lot of us that already are. And while, while y'all are doing that, just put, I'm an owner, I own a grocery store, or I support LACE, if you'll just type that in the chat, because there's a lot of us I know that are. Um, and you can also make a pledge. I'm <laughs> uh, because there are a lot of people who are owners and totally get what we're trying to do. Um, I want to give a shout out to some of our faith communities. Uh, you mentioned Douglas Boulevard Christian Church, but Joshua Tabernacle has been a big supporter early on. David Snarden, yeah. who is the uh, Interfaith Ministerial Coalition chairperson, the St. George's Episcopal Church and others. What are things, what are ways that an organization, if you're a neighborhood group or you're a faith community or you're a small business, how can you support the work of the grocery and how, what would you say is the best thing those folks can do for us, either Casa or Lisa? I mean, I say become owners. Um, we, I, I put in the chat uh, some, some groups nationally that we follow and that we, uh, well, that I like. And I was on a call Monday with the Boston Ujima Project. And you should look those people up. They are awesome. They are really taking ownership of planning processes in their community and um, organizing the community to be the experts of the things that they wanna see happen and then supporting those things happening through this community investment um, uh, process. And so what I've learned from them is something we've been wanting to do, but we really, really, really need to do popular education. So buy the book, buy Collective Courage and have study circles about what you've learned from that. Um, there are other, uh, um, there's, a, there's a, an array of resources. We should try to put some of those books and um, publications on our website so that people can do that. But learning and being together, cooking together and talking about um, things. There's just, there's so much, people don't know who their Metro Council member, members are. So how the heck are we gonna defund the police? If people don't know how to influence the budget process, people don't know who, some folks don't know who their state reps are. Like there's tons of education that needs to happen in our community. And I'm, as an organizer and abolitionist, I am one that doesn't like to, to, to lean on the education thing. Cause some people can just get, get lost in that. Oh, we got to educate people, educate people. We got to educate people so that we can move them to action. Right. The work is moving people to action. Well, we've 
pretty much reached the end of our program, but we have not reached the end of the discussion about the importance of connecting food and the promise of food uh, to racial justice. This is Black History Month. Louisville, Kentucky is the fourth most segregated city in the United States. And we're excited to have Lisa Markowitz and Cassa Heron here from the Louisville Community Grocery and from Louisville Area Cooperative Economics to talk with us about how we move forward. A lot of people get tired of hearing about Black History Month and they get tired of hearing about the racial injustices and they're looking for a way forward. And this is an opportunity for us to talk about both. We know that people live in a world of racial injustice every day. And part of our commitment as Sowers of Justice is to work on racial justice and work on food justice. And we're excited about our partnership with the Food and Neighborhoods Coalition and the Louisville Community Grocery. Uh, Now, Barbara Boyd is gonna tell us a little bit more about next month's program. Barbara? Hello, everybody. I'm back again. Um, Next month, our third Thursday lunch will be March 18th, and we are pleased to announce that Dr. Kevin Cosby, uh, president of Simmons College of Kentucky and senior pastor of St. Stephen Church, he's going to speak on reparations, reparations for the descendants of slaves. Right. Well, again, we thank Fellowship of Reconciliation. We thank Forward Radio for being here. We appreciate Lace and the Louisville Grocery being with us today. So folks, we're out of time. You have been listening to the Third Thursday Lunch, sponsored by the Louisville Fellowship of Reconciliation and Source of Justice, and produced here by Solutions of Violence. The keynote speaker for the February 18th, 2021, Third Thursday Lunch has been Kadisa Heron and Lisa Markowitz. We want to thank WFMP 106.5 FM for allowing us to use their excess hour time slot. You can catch the program again featuring Kadisa Heron and Lisa Markowitz February 25th at 11 a.m. and February 26th at 2 p.m. For Solutions to Violence, I'm Jim Johnson. Johnson.